0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Friday night bonus hole. It is seven o'clock p.m. It is Friday, August eleventh. I guess I'm going to tell you guys the date every day now. If I don't get it wrong, I think I stopped doing that because I started getting it wrong because I have no concept of what day of the week it is. It's great. Thank you, Saint Miles, for your super chat, baby dipping dot treats. Before I forget, thank you so much, sir. You are very generous. We appreciate your presence for sure. you guys, I'm excited to bring you the best of the odds and ends, and I was gratified to listen to The Daily Wire's The Morning Wire podcast, and to listen to people like Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro today, and to hear them talking about stuff that we all talked about last night. So we were ahead of the game, because we were reading it all yesterday. So haha, take that Daily Wire, we are one step ahead of you. So today I want to start... And I don't know if I'm going to pull up this article, but I'm sure you guys have seen this song by this lovely gentleman from Virginia. And he's talking about how different life is for the working American than it is for the rich men up in Richmond, if you guys have seen the title of this song. Now, I'm not a country fan, but I recognize that it is a strongly populist music genre. And as someone who has been appreciating Irish Um, revolutionary music for some time now, I have to say that I really do appreciate that kind of music. I was just listening as I was getting ready for tonight's show to an artist named Stan Rogers who wrote a song called The Idiot, where he talks about how refusing to take the government goal dole must make him into something of an idiot. But he talks about how getting away from the East Coast and going out to the Western parts of the country were very good for the soul because it kept him from needing government assistance and allowed him to take care of himself. Now, I have been a huge fan of this populist music mindset for a really long time. So I'm really happy to see it catching on. Uh, I hope this guy gets super popular, super proud of him. Again, I don't like the style. Whatever. Style's just a matter of taste. I'm really proud of him for putting it out there because I feel like people who are talented tend to sell themselves short when they look at the world and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not auto-tuned like Lady Gaga or Taylor Swift or whatever. And they're like, yeah, I have nothing to offer. But you will never know if you have anything to offer if you never try. So the username says 90s and 80s country is where it's at. That was my favorite genre of country. I actually really liked Big and Rich. Back when they were super patriotic and they were talking about like the 5th of November and some of these really strongly pro-American vibes. And I was so excited to meet John Rich and he's actually one of the guys who's offering to produce, um, what's his name, Oliver Anthony's song called Richmond North of Richmond, which has now been viewed millions of times. Good for him. Let's take a quick peek at this article just because I have it up. Virginia native goes viral with powerful ballad blasting D.C. politicians. A Virginia native with a soulful voice and a powerful message is going viral on social media and hitting all the right notes with the blue-collar workers and everyday Americans who can relate. His name is Oliver Anthony and his song Richmond North of Richmond has been viewed millions of times literally overnight the simple gritty ballad backed only by anthony's acoustic guitar gives voice to how millions of americans are feeling Namely that their lives are being controlled by a building filled with marble halls and elite politicians, right? So as I was listening to this song, I was reminded of The Idiot by Stan Rogers. Um, I was reminded of a song called Sawed Off Shotgun by a Canadian band named The Glorious Sons, which talks about some of the struggles of being blue collar in a opioid addicted town and dealing with some of life's challenges for the ordinary person. Um, and how hard life can be just day-to-day for the person who's just struggling to make ends meet. Totally get it, 100%. So one of the things Oliver says over the course of this song, they they will tell you a little chunk of the lyrics here, and there is some swearing, so I'm going to censor it for you. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours, BS pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away. It's a darn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you, Wish I could wake up and it not be true, but it is, yeah, it is living in the new world. The song places the blame squarely with with where Anthony believes it belongs on the rich men north of Richmond, which of course we know because Annie and I used to be over right by the swamp, D.C., the most evil feeling city on earth in my experience, just north of Richmond, Virginia. Lord knows they all just want to have total control, want to know what you think, want to know what you do, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do. Your dollar ain't ish and it's taxed to no end because the rich men, he says, and it only gets better from there. Jason Howerton, a conservative personality with more than 96,000 followers on Twitter. Ooh, so many. Spoke with Anthony and posted a few details of the singer's story in a tweet thread, which is really awesome. I'm glad this guy's getting attention. I love it when ordinary people get out there and make their voices heard and they get the kind of respect and appreciation they deserve. I think that's awesome. So if you guys haven't heard this song... Go check it out. It is all over Twitter. Last I saw, it was trending. Let's see here if it's still trending. It was like, right? Let's see. It's like the videos that are trending. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Let's see here. Last time I opened the app, it was like right there, the video. Let me see if they have a video section. Let's see. Let's see if this pops up. Yeah, there it is. The first thing, Oliver Anthony. Yeah, so here he is. Oh, this is him tweeting. Okay. Richmond, North of Richmond has been uploaded to all major streaming platforms and will show up there in a few days. I'm still in a state of shock at the outpouring of love that I've seen in the comments, messages and emails. I'm working to respond to everyone as quickly as possible. Well, you're never going to make it, man. You're a big star now and there's no keeping up with it. So just wave it goodbye and just continue to be nice. Rolling Stone already posted their hit piece on this song. (laughs) Haha, fascinating on the artist. They even try to cast doubt on what we know about Jeffrey Epstein. Oh my gosh. Right-wing influencers just found their favorite new country song. This makes me laugh so much because this is not a right-wing issue. Believe it or not, there are left-wing populists and they don't like politicians any more than we do. But we know the Rolling Stone, they're full of nonsense. Oh, Joe Rogan shared this. Good for him. Glenn Beck shared it, Charlie Spearing, whom I follow and appreciate, share it, Meg- Megan Basham shared about it, did she? I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's related to it. After offering to cover oh yeah, after offering to cover the cost to produce Oliver Anthony's song, uh, l- album, legendary country producer John Rich has agreed to produce that record. Diane Bongino offers to assist with distribution, holy-ish, yeah, Oliver Anthony, that's very cool. Christian Toto, will the media cover it? My guess is no, unless they can dig up dirt on the singer. Christian Toto never misses. So if you don't follow him, you should. He is good with the predictions and he's correct. You know what? Let me, let me tweet back at him. Amazing prediction skill. Christian exclamation point. The Rolling Stones team of crack reporters, cocaine, crack cocaine, I'm hilarious. What can I say? It's already on that case with alacrity because I never turned down a chance to use the word alacrity. It's fantastic. What can I say? All right, you guys, I just wanted to bring that to your attention because I do appreciate those populist songs. And this sounds like a good one. If you guys like country for sure, check it out. Check it out. Again, not my style. Don't care. He produced it or he, he played it in his backyard. He just has his guitar with him. It's great. I think it's awesome. And it's clearly something that he's really poured his heart and soul into and he deserves every bit of recognition he gets. Now that's a very uplifting song here. Um, and I am afraid to spoil it with this next story, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to, because this is pretty important and it really just crushed my heart listening to conversation about it today and seeing what Joe Biden did in response to it because I was... (laughs) We're not led by good people, guys. We are not led by good people and I think that's part of the reason that song is really resonating with people. 53 people have died from the Maui wildfires, the governor says, and historic Lahaina has burned down. So from my understanding, this town, Lahaina, was one of the oldest on the islands and it's just gone it's completely gone forever. However, the good news is that the real estate there is incredibly profitable. It's incredibly valuable. People are definitely going to descend and fix everything up for them. And that's great. But the problem with that is that you never recover the historic stuff you lost. So my heart really goes out to these people. A search of the wildfire devastation on the Hawaiian island of Maui on Thursday revealed a wasteland of obliterated neighborhoods and landmarks charred beyond recognition as the death toll rose to at least 53 and survivors told harrowing tales of narrow escapes with only the clothes on their back. A flyover historic Lahaina showed the entire neighborhoods that had been a vibrant vision of color and island life reduced to gray ash, block after block with nothing but rubble and blackened foundations, including along famous Front Street where tourists shopped and dined just days ago. Boats in the harbor were scorched and smoke hovered over the town, which dates to the 1700s and is the biggest community on the island's west side. Lahaina, with a few rare exceptions, has been burned down, Hawaii Governor Josh Green told the Associated Press. More than a thousand structures were destroyed by fires that were still burning, he said. Already the state's deadliest natural disaster since the 1960 tsunami killed 61 people on the Big Island. The death toll will likely rise further as search and rescue operations continue, he added. We are heartsick, he said. Many businesses, including one of the town's oldest shops, were destroyed as the owner, Tiffany Kidder Wynn, assessed the damage Wednesday at the Whites, uh, the Whale's Locker Gifts shop. Sorry, I don't have my glasses tonight, guys, so I'm really kind of reading blind here. She came upon a line of burned out vehicles, some with charred bodies still inside. Oh my gosh, yes, this is what I was hearing on Scott Adams' podcasts. Absolutely horrifying scenes. People did not have a chance to escape. And it's just... <sighs> Awful. Awful. These kinds of things don't happen very often in the U.S. We're very lucky in this regard. So when it does, it really hits hard and it's incredibly soul crushing. I'm sure there has been an outpouring of love for these people. I am sure that there are huge numbers of charitable donations headed toward Hawaii as we speak. But one place that's not offering any kind of support is the Biden administration. Joe Biden has been busy asking Congress for 40 billion dollars more to support ukraine and replenish u.s disaster aid and bolster the border curious if he said anything about hawaii and let's see if we f- can find that in this page no mention of the word hawaii not surprising so this is from today and he's tweeted about it so he obviously knows it's happening. And he says all the typical mealy mouth political things Jill and I send our deepest condolences to the families who lost loved ones blah blah blah. Our prayers are with those whose homes businesses and communities are destroyed. Pretty sure you're not a Christian dude. We're grateful to the first responders blah blah blah. This is such boilerplate and I hate it so much. Especially given what they're looking for which is for aid to Ukraine. And I have to say when it comes to Ukraine everything we know about Hunter Biden tells us that Joe Biden has a vested interest in the success of Ukraine. And I was thinking about this today cuz I was like there if there's one person you should never listen to it's someone with a vested interest in the topic they are speaking directly to. So if you have for example somebody who's being paid by like a politician you should not listen to their opinions about that politician because they're going to be incredibly slanted. They're going to be biased. There's nothing you can do about it. So probably should use that advice for every single situation you see yourself in moving forward because it's just true. Now, I think that I think that if anyone else were in charge of the U.S. right now, we would not be at war in Ukraine. I don't even think Russia and Ukraine would be fighting because I don't know if you guys recall this, but... Russia attacked Ukraine in 2014 when Obama was president. No, I was in 2014, was it? Yeah, okay. 2014 when, Biden was pres- or when Obama was president. Oh my gosh. Yeah, one of those two guys. Yeah, and then of course not during Trump's tenure. And then immediately as soon as Joe Biden was in office. And I think they feel so confident doing it with Biden in office because they know they've got dirt on him. And I think that's part of the reason we keep giving them Unlimited amounts of money. Oh, my gosh. Sarenko says the before and after pictures were tragic 100%. Sarenko says, and goes on to say, people underestimate how quickly fires can spread and grow, especially if the winds are blowing. Yeah, so I guess that this was at least somewhat propelled by winds from whatever hurricane they have over there on that ocean. I can never remember which ocean they're in. I think they're in the Pacific. I think we're in the Atlantic over here, but don't, don't quote me on that because I can never keep my ocean straight. This reminded me a little bit about the fire that swept the town that I grew up in when I was 22. And I was working at a nursing home. I was working, at, I had two different jobs, of course, because I did for most of my twenties. Um, <clears throat> and patients from one of my jobs, which was higher up closer to the mountains, actually were transported to my second job, which was further from the mountains, closer into town, and we were basically on double duty, taking care of twice as many people, and then our entire floor, where we had mostly private rooms, were converted into twin rooms. People got roommates against their will because we had too many patients, and many such cases as far as the like nursing homes and care centers inside the town, if there were nursing homes that were up closer to the mountains, those patients would be immediately transferred down into some of these other um, centers in the town and that was terrifying. I remember I I had I carried some of my valuables with me because my apartment was not t- too far from the mountains. I lived relatively close to my both of my jobs but I lived I was thinking about my second second job being threatened, the one that was close to the mountains further um, west and I was like, oh my gosh, if that fire comes across the interstate, I am actually in danger of losing my apartment which had never been obviously never been the case for me never been exposed to tornadoes even though we lived in Colorado the worst hazard we'd faced was hailed and then suddenly we were in a position where fire might actually come down and just burn our houses or damage them so badly that we couldn't live there and we could have smoke damage water damage all sorts of other issues and ridiculous insurance problems as I recall insurance was quite a problem for a lot of the houses that were damaged thankfully they were in the richer neighborhoods, the people who lived up higher on the mountains, so they were able to, um, kind of make it work, hopefully. But thankfully, that hasn't happened there. And this is part of the reason my heart really goes out to the people in Hawaii. Even in Colorado, there were only like one or two people who died because they absolutely refused to evacuate. But it sounds like in Hawaii, there was no message to evacuate, which is a, an infrastructure failure like I've never heard before. That's absolutely crazy but um sean says calling joe biden a christian is like calling someone a muslim who drinks alcohol eats pork and f's um (laughs) ladies of the night all day every day yes yes i've constantly been surprised that he doesn't actually burst into flame anytime he sets foot into a Catholic Mass, because there is no self-respecting Catholic Mass on earth that would accept him into their walls with the understanding of everything that he truly believes, which is kind of my stance on Nancy Pelosi as well, who claims that she's also a Catholic. Liars! Liars, liars. Username says Ukraine equals money laundering 100%, 100%. 100%. 100%. Absolutely. Saw Big and Rich in 2002-2003 at Six Flags in California. That was super cool. Absolutely good for you. I don't think I've been to a country concert, but I did get to meet John Rich in person. I was just like, you guys are great. Absolutely fantastic. I'm pretty sure that I was the only member of the TimCast team who had actually listened to him in the past. And I thought I was like... I really liked your music at the time. That was like some of, my fa- some of my favorite years of the country music genre. Whisper says, I made cheese stuffed shells and garlic bread for dinner tonight. That sounds like a great idea. I was just telling um, Andy that I think we're going to need to get some steak or something. Texas Stranger says, hi, cats. Dip says, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Happy to hear from you. Texas Ranger says Hawaii doesn't pay like Ukraine. That's right. Hawaii also doesn't have any dirt on Joe Biden. Hell Saint says Friday Night Lids. That's right. Welcome to the bonus hole. We have a few extra things. This was the biggest thing for me, and I, I've been. Pushing back on my blood pressure because this is one of the things that the doctor is really paying close attention to for me. It's been on the borderline. I'm not sure why. I've been very zen, peace of mind, and he's a great, wonderful, supportive husband. Been drinking enough, been eating as many vegetables as I can possibly stomach. Still, my blood pressure is right on the edge, and I'm pretty sure that paying attention to current events is not helping because I'm zen and chill in every other area of my life, but this stuff makes me so mad. Holy cow. Hunter Biden investigation. Special counsel appointment may complicate house inquiries. Why, you ask? Well, it's because our wonderful innocent, pure as the driven snow, DOJ head Merrick Garland has just appointed David Weiss. You may remember his name from such hits as arranging Hunter Biden's sweetheart deal with that judge in Delaware because that's exactly who he was and also being a part of the government and also being appointed to a special counsel, which is literally against the law. And we'll look at the law in just a minute. Let's read before I lose my cool. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced Friday that he'd elevated the United States attorney investigating Hunter Biden to a special counsel could spell trouble for House Republicans investigation of the Biden family. That's exactly the point. Exactly the point. This is his whole goal with doing this was to complicate what the Republicans are doing. They are getting too close to the truth, and Merrick Garland doesn't want that. It's his team under scrutiny. He can't have that. And before we proceed, I want to remind you guys that the reason that Merrick Garland did not make it to the Supreme Court was because of Mitch McConnell. So complain about Mitch McConnell all you want. This man could have been on the Supreme Court, and he's not. I could not be more grateful. Thank you, Mitch. You may die in peace. You may retire now. You can go. Thank you. We appreciate you. Delaware U.S. Attorney General, U.S. Attorney David Weiss, now a special counsel, had faced criticism from the GOP lawmakers after two IRS whistleblowers and at least one former FBI agent raised allegations of favorable treatment offered to Hunter Biden. Weiss was left in charge of the five-year-old five-year investigation when President Joe Biden took office. Uh Uh-huh. And we remember what happened with that. It died an untimely death and we never know why. It was because of David Weiss, who need I remind you was actually a Trump appointee. The House Judiciary Committee had asked in July to speak with Weiss and Leslie Wolf, an assistant u s attorney to the Delaware Office, among other Justice Department officials. The whistleblowers had blamed Wolf in particular uh, had claimed Wolf in particular took steps to block search warrants. Tip off Hunter Biden's lawyers about upcoming investigative steps and shut down lines of inquiry that might have involved Joe Biden. That's right. We remember this if we have been following it. In letters requesting the interviews, House Judiciary Committee lawmakers had pointed to the expected conclusion of the Hunter Biden investigation in late July as a reason why the Justice Department should make their officials available. Late July was supposed to see Hunter Biden accept a plea deal Weiss had offered before it collapsed in court. So glad it collapsed in court. Holy cow. Thank God for that observant judge who looked at the sweetheart deal and was like, This really says that we can't prosecute him for anything in the future ever? That's weird. Is this really what you guys wanted? And one of the lawyers said yes, and one of them said no. And she was like, you guys can't even agree on this. That's crazy. Go back and fix it. David Weiss can't be trusted, and this is just a new way to whitewash the Biden family's corruption. Weiss has already signed off on a sweetheart plea deal that was so awful and unfair that a federal judge rejected it, said Russell Dye, spokesman for the House Judiciary Committee. We will continue to pursue facts brought to light by brave whistleblowers, as well as Weiss's inconsistent statements to Congress. House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer, Republican of Kentucky, also objected to the appointment of Weiss as special counsel. This move by Attorney General Garland is part of the Justice Department's efforts to attempt To attempt a Biden family cover-up in light of the House Oversight Committee's mounting evidence of President Joe Biden's role in his family's schemes, selling the brand for millions of dollars to foreign nationals, Comer said in a statement. Yes, that's correct. Very hard to read this any other way if you're being fair about it and not an ideologically possessed Democrat. Let's be clear what today's move is really about. The Biden Justice Department is trying to stonewall congressional oversights as we have presented evidence To the American people about the Biden family's corruption, he added, Weiss's plea agreement included two misdemeanor tax charges, so literally a slap on the wrist, nothing more, and offered a diversion agreement to avoid a charge on an unrelated firearm offense, which, as we know, for anyone else, would have been a felony offense, as would the tax charges. The charges did not involve alleged crimes committed outside Weiss's jurisdiction in Delaware, which seemed to bolster whistleblower claims that the two Joe Biden-appointed U.S. attorneys in the other jurisdictions had blocked Weiss's ability to pursue more serious charges. Weiss and Garland have maintained for months that Weiss had ultimate authority in making charging decisions and taking investigative steps, but the appointment this week of Weiss as a special counsel suggests that might not have been the case. Oh, really? You mean to tell me they were lying? That's crazy. The House Judiciary Committee may struggle now to get answers about years of slow walking that occurred in the Hunter Biden probe, but the House Oversight Committee may have an easier time proceeding with its separate related investigation. The House Committee are digging into the substance of what Hunter Biden is accused of doing unregistered foreign lobbying, money laundering, and peddling access to his father. Than the vice president. They have gotten much of their evidence dated to date from sources outside the Biden administration, including from banks and from Hunter Biden's former business partners. The justice department may not be able to step, uh, to stop outside entities from cooperating with a house oversight committee in the name of a special counsel. Also on Friday, the justice department appeared to make clear that Hunter Biden could no longer count on a plea deal from Weiss's office. Good. In a court filing, the DOJ confirmed that it had reached a stalemate in negotiating with Hunter Biden's legal team over how to proceed, making it more likely that the legal saga will end in the trial. Good. Again, good. Chris Chrissy recommended David Weiss, our Patch lids, Andy Leiterman. Yes, to whom? To Donald Trump, right? Yeah, because Donald Trump appointed David Weiss, unfortunately. So this is at least partly Trump's fault. The State of the le- Statute of Limitations... On some of the most serious alleged tax offenses has expired. For example, Hunter Biden did not pay taxes on the income he earned in 2014 from Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company that at the time paid him $83,000 per month. Right. I feel like a lot of this is repetition for us who have been following along with us. For sure. Serenko says there's one thing the GOP is good at. It's doing nothing. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. No, no, Mitch did not do nothing in this instance. He actively blocked Merrick Garland from making it on to... The Supreme Court, and I remember the mainstream media was screaming at him, just screaming. And he, for all his flaws, for everything I disagree with him on, is 100% inflappable in the face of media scrutiny. So good for him on that count. Uh, Let's see if we can skip ahead. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy had recently signaled an openness to the idea and GOP lawmakers had expressed the hope that impeachment inquiry could shake loose some information that the Biden administration has refused to provide so far. With Weiss at the helm of special counsel probe, however, the Justice Department would likely have new reasons not to cooperate with the impeachment inquiry. Right. There's a very strategic reason that Garland put David Weiss in charge of this. It protects them on several fronts. It protects them in case of the impeachment thing. It prevents the um, House Oversight Committee from really going after them and getting what they need. It's going to be interesting moving forward. Let's see if we can find that tweet that I had about this being actually against the law. Let's see here. <laughs> All right, those Richmond. <laughs> there we go. It's, there's already a meme about it. The media says Biden didn't violate the First Amendment. Oh, we're going to talk about that one next. That one's really good. Really, really good. Actually, super, super good news from that. Let's see here. Congress needs to demand independent counsel. Son of a gun. I know I shared this, but now I can't find it in my notifications. Let's see. Oh. How can AG Merrick Garland uh, tap US David, USA David Weiss, U.S. Attorney David Weiss to be special counsel when Weiss retains his position as U.S. Attorney. The law states the special counsel shall be selected from outside the United States government. And I'm willing to bet that their workaround for this is that this is a state-level employee. They'll, they'll argue that it's not technically a federal employee. I don't know what the distinction is. The actual uh, law is 600.3 qualifications of the special counsel and it says, quote, An individual named as special counsel shall be a lawyer with a reputation for integrity and impartial de- decision making and with appropriate experience to ensure both the investigation will be conducted ably, expeditiously and thoroughly, and that investiga- investigative oh my gosh, and prosecutorial decisions will be supported by an informed understanding of the criminal law and the Department of Justice policies. The special counsel shall be selected from outside the United States government. Special counsel shall agree that their responsibility as special counsel shall take first precedence in their professional lives and that it may be necessary to devote their full time to the investigation, depending on its complexity and the stage of the investigation. Yeah. Yep. Oh, hello, Lori. Welcome to tonight's conversation. Benjamin goes on, I don't mean to diminish from the other asinine part of the Weiss special counsel appointment that the the regulations call for an SC. I'm not sure he's for a special counsel, to exhibit qualities totally at odds with those demonstrated by USA Weiss in Hunter Biden's sham investigation culminating in a sham plea deal. That's right. Reputation for integrity and impartial decision making. We know that Weiss does not have these characteristics because of the plea deal that he put together for Hunter Biden. Holy cow. This is nothing but a political ploy. Not shocking to anyone who's been paying any attention. Appears Attorney General Barr also skirted this regulation in appointing John Durham special counsel. He said he did so consistent with authorities under which Robert Mueller was appointed. Democrats cried foul. Silence here. Of course, apples and oranges gives USA Weiss lead sham probe and cut sham plea deal with Hunter Biden at issue here. Benjamin is writing like he's sending a freaking telegram. So that's ridiculous. So thank you, though, Benjamin, for your two cents. We appreciate it. Appreciate Benjamin Weingarten's work for sure. Yeah, so that's what's going on with the Hunter Biden investigation. Merrick Garland is pulling a fast one and no one is going to hold him accountable for this because why would they? This is their guy in charge. They don't care about anything except... Winning. So for the people who are constantly talking about systems of hierarchies of power, they sure are set on power. I'm going to show you this Breitbart article just because I like this ad that's to the right of Joe Biden's face. Free cremation cost. cost. (laughs) So they see a picture of Joe Biden and they're like, you know what Ad should go along with this picture of this decrepit old zombie? Probably an ad for cremation. Great work, guys. Appreciate that for sure. I know it's not designed that way. I just think it's hilarious. Report establishment media only spend four minutes and 50 seconds reporting on Biden's business deals. Of course, because we already know what their line of attack is. There are three different ways they can go with this. First, they cannot cover it at all. It sounds like it's raining. I guess it's not. I don't know what sound that is. Um, th- they can ignore it altogether, which they're very good at doing. That's another method they use of acting like something doesn't exist at all. It is, I think it is a lie when you omit something like that, for sure. Absolutely. Um, but this is their their main course of action is just to ignore it. And then if they are forced to contend with it, they will say one of two things. One, Joe Biden is a very, very loving father who wants nothing but the best for his son. To which I have to counter and say, if you've ever known someone who has a crippling addiction, many of us have, I have some personal experience with that myself, I remember what it's like, it's not good, it's not fun, it's very worrying. One of the things that you do not ever do is enable someone who is addicted to some form of substance by giving them money. And that is exactly what Joe Biden did. In fact, it was imperative that his son continue to bring in bags of cash from various foreign entities to the tune of $83,000 a month from Burisma because he was, according to the text from Hunter Biden, paying half of his dad's bills. Remember his text to his daughter? Yeah, he was paying a lot of Joe Biden's bills, which is utterly disgusting to force your addicted son into a position where he has to Handle a lot of money and give a bunch of it to you. That is sick. That is morally depraved. And the other thing they're going to say is that Hunter Biden's business dealings actually didn't have anything to do with Joe Biden personally, because none of the money actually went into Joe Biden's bank account. But Joe Biden's family was being enriched. His sister-in-law, his brother, his son, pretty much everyone around him was getting lots and lots and lots of cushy perks, and we know now, based on what Devin Archer was saying, that it was because Hunter was able to bankroll his dad's influence to make things happen, and those countries paid him. Simple as that. It's really not that complicated, and the media will not cover it. They will go the simplest possible route and just say things along the lines of, actually, it never went into his bank account. Philip Bump had a whole article about this, and like I was pointing to yesterday, I was like, hey, we've come a long way from Joe Biden didn't know anything about his son's business dealings to actually none of the money went directly into Joe's bank account, therefore it didn't really happen. Wild, wild stuff, but it's easy to see if you know what you're looking for and knowing exactly what strategy they're going to take. Kind of fun. It's entertaining. If nothing else, following the mainstream media as they tie themselves in knots for Democrats is never a dull moment so i see they're trying all three strategies here and this one's working out particularly well as well on the topic of censorship so i want to pull up this tweet from Michael, Michael Schellenberger, but we're going to talk about the Twitter CEO Linda Yaccarino. She's boasting about censorship to please advertisers. Now, if you guys recall from yesterday, we talked about how some of these big tech platforms are coming up with methods to prevent you from ever knowing that you were censored in the first place. And I just have to say as somebody who has almost 200,000 Twitter followers, I think it's working for me because my tweets get very, 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 very little interaction. And it's not because they're not absolute bangers because, of course, they are. I send the best tweets of all time, obviously. I'm just kidding. But I send topical stuff that people care about and people interact with when they see it. I just think they don't ever happen to see it. There's just no way for a tweet to pass through 200,000 people's timeline and only like 10 or 15 of them to be like, wow, that's interesting enough that I will share, comment, or like this tweet. I just don't see it. I think that's exactly what's happening, but let's read a little bit about what she's saying. Ex-CEO Linda Yaccarino boasted August 10th about how her platform's safety tools can censor content while support supposedly allowing Free speech. Yacarino tried to reassure the public that Twitter does, in fact, still censor so-called hateful content when asked about brand safety in a CNBC squawk-on-the-street interview with co-anchor Sarah Eisen. Yacarino broadcasted the full interview on the Twitter space Thursday. If it is lawful but awful, it's extraordinarily difficult for you to see it. I'm willing to bet that most of what I have to say falls into that range. I think they would probably consider it awful that a conservative per- person was airing such views as I do, especially with as incendiary as my tweets sometimes are, because I really care about all the stuff I think about. My values aren't changing. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just saying what I truly believe, and I say it as bluntly as possible so that it resonates with people. The problem is that it doesn't resonate with people because people never see it, and I think that's exactly what's going on here. She bragged, explaining how X censors content and assures advertisers that their ads will only appear with content they like. Yet Yakarino also pretended loyalty to free expression. By all objective measures at metrics, X is a much healthier and safer platform than it was a year ago, she claimed. We have built brand safety and content moderation tools that have never existed before at this company. She specifically cited the new policy that X owner Elon Musk and Yacarino called freedom of speech, not reach, as part of this content moderation, i.e. censorship. Yacarino explained the new policy. So if you're going to post something that's illegal or against the law, You're gone, zero tolerance, right? Obviously, I never do that. But more importantly, if you're going to post something that is lawful, but it's awful, you'll get labeled, she detailed. You'll get labeled, you'll get deamplified, which means it cannot be shared. And it is certainly demonetized. So I'm not to the point where I've ever been put into a do not share state, which is fine. I just think that there are steps above that that tend to kind of quash people that they don't want their points of view getting out. The ex-CEO gleefully announced that big brands are protected from the risk of being next to that content. She didn't seem worried about protecting users' First Amendment right to free speech. In the past, Twitter has displayed a leftist bias while censoring supposed misinformation and hate speech. Yaccarina was particularly proud to report that after a post is labeled, 30% of users staggeringly take it down themselves. Reducing that hateful content from being seen, it's one of the best examples of how X is committed to encouraging healthy behavior online. She bragged to the censorship, claiming that 99.9% of impressions on Twitter, quote, are healthy. Eisen self-righteously lectured about conspiracy theories and hysterically cited Kanye West and Musk himself. Yacarino then gave a hypocritical nod to free speech. "'You might not agree with what everyone's saying,' she told Eisen. "'Free expression at its core will really, really only survive "'when someone you don't agree with will say something that you don't agree with.'" "'Yeah, so if they do say something that you don't like and don't agree with, "'you'll just prevent anyone else from seeing it. Good for you. "'Really happy for you, lady.'" Brands are coming back to Twitter under Yakarono's influence, the ex-CEO insisted. On Tuesday, we announced the rollout of all our new safety tools, she explained. Describing the censorship as a security blanket, she gives advertisers to say, your ads will only air next to content that is appropriate for you of your choice. X also partnered with Intra- Integral Ad Science, for transparency, again, Yacarino's focus was consistently about protecting brands, rather than protecting free speech. And unfortunately, her views are unsurprising since she came to Twitter from woke NBC Universal and the anti-free speech World Economic Forum. That's right, she is not great. But there is good news. Let's see what Michael Schellenberger has for us. He has wonderful news. In fact, I was very excited to read you guys this. If I can find it. The media say Biden didn't violate the First Amendment by demanding social media censorship, but the evidence presented in yesterday's federal circuit hearing plainly shows that he did. If the Supreme Court decided to hear the case, we may soon win a massive free speech victory. That's right. Free speech to the Supreme Court and beyond. Dems turn on drug dens. Why we trust vets. Okay, so there's a whole list of things we're going to talk about. Historic Missouri v. Biden censorship lawsuit is likely headed to the Supreme Court. I am excited about this. <coughs> Excuse me. Pardon me for coughing. Autumn Leaves says, are woke allowed here? You can be as woke as you want in the chat, but I don't know if anyone's going to agree with you. If you just want to be agreed with all the time, this is probably not the place for you. Historic Missouri v. Biden censorship lawsuit. Yesterday, the Fifth Circuit Court heard or- heard oral arguments in the Missouri v. Biden case and the judges did not hold back. One judge suggested the government's strong-armed social media companies and that their meetings had included veiled and not-so-veiled threats. Right, this we know. Another judge described the exchange between the Biden administration and tech companies as the government saying, jump, and the companies responding, how high? That's a really nice social media company you got there. It'd be a shame if something happened to it, the judge said, describing the government's coercive tactics. That's right. Yeah, wouldn't it be a shame? Such mafia mode. It's crazy. Attorney John Sauer, representing Louisiana, masterfully argued that the government had repeatedly violated the First Amendment. He pointed to specific evidence of coercion in the Facebook files. You have a really interesting snapshot into what Facebook C-suite is saying, Sauer explained. They're emailing Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg and saying things like, why were we talking take, taking out speech about the origins of COVID and the lab leak theory? The response, Sauer said, was, well, we shouldn't have done it, but we're under pressure from the administration. Yeah. He also said an email from from Nick Clegg, (laughs) don't tell him I called him Lick, Facebook president of global affairs that pointed to bigger fish to fry with the administration, data flows, etc. On Monday, public public reported, I'm assuming he meant public, interesting, I'm not sure what he means by public. Public reported that these data flows referred to leverage that Biden administration had over the company. Facebook needed the White House to negotiate a deal with the European Union. That's right. That's how they made it work. Only through this deal could Facebook maintain access to user data that is crucial for its $1.2 billion annual European business. But Sarah also made it clear that the coercion was not only uh, based, not the only basis on which the court could rule against the Biden administration. Joint activity between the White House and a social media platform would also be unconstitutional. Sauer so compared the government what the government had done to book burning. Imagine a scenario where senior White House staffers contact book publishers and tell them, we want to have a book burning program and we want to help you implement this program. We want to identify for you the books that we want burned. And by the way, the books that we want burned are the books that criticize the administration and its policies. That's right. That's a brilliant comparison for sure. Daniel Tenney, the attorney for the Department of Justice, was left nitpicking and misrepresenting the record. In one instance, he denied that Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins had hatched a plan to orchestrate a takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration. Why? Because, Tenney said, according to their email, they actually planned a takedown of the premises of the Great Barrington Declaration. So that does sound like nitpicking, 100%. Tenney also stated that social media companies had not removed any true content. From the case's discovery, as well as the Facebook files, we know that is far from true. Facebook, against internal research and advice, did remove often true content that might discourage people from getting vaccinated. Facebook's own emails clearly suggest the company not only did only did this due to pressure from figures within the Biden administration. Oh, gosh, excuse me. I don't know why I decide to read all this stuff when I keep yawning like this. Penny also claimed that when Rob Flaherty... The White House Director of Digital Strategy dropped the F-bomb in an exchange with Facebook. It was not about content moderation. In fact, it was precisely about content moderation and occurred during a conversation about how Instagram was throttling Biden's account. Ironically, the account couldn't gain followers because Meta's algorithm had determined that it was spreading vaccine disinformation. That's funny! How the turntables! Later, Sauer demolished an earthquake hypothetical that tyranny had introduced to justify state-sponsored censorship. You can say this earthquake-related speech that's disinformation is false. It's wrong. However, said the government can say it's bad, but the government can't say social media platforms. You need to take it down. Just like a government can't stand at the podium and say Barnes and Noble, you need to burn the bad books, burn the communist books, whatever it is. They can't say to take down speech on the basis of content. Based on this hearing, the plaintiffs in Missouri versus Biden have a strong chance of winning. May have a strong chance of winning. Biden's DOJ simply had no valid arguments to present. The evidence is clear. The administration brazenly engaged in an unlawful censorship campaign and instrumentalized private companies to do its bidding. This total disregard for fundamental civil liberties will be a stain on the Democratic Party for years to come. The Supreme Court will be the supreme victory in the U.S., but our free speech work won't be done after we win there. No nation enjoys speech protection like ours, and so after we win in the U.S., you can expect to see us helping our allies abroad achieve similar intera- in protections from government strongarming, aka censorship, in their own nations. So grateful to people like Michael Schellenberger, um, Leighton Woodhouse, and my uh, Alex Gutentag. Very interesting. I've not heard of those other people either, but that's a great little article from him for sure. I'm excited about that. It's like a bright spot for sure. And the fact that we could possibly win a case against the Biden administration would be amazing. And I think, I genuinely think this is half the reason they're coming down as hard on Clarence Thomas as they are at the moment. So, well, oh, we'll see. Oh, that's really interesting. Because Matt Taibbi also commented on this. Said Judge John Willett said the government's behavior was like a fairly unsubtle kind of strong arming as in that's a really nice social media platform we got there it'd be shame if something happened to it this guy responded and said are you suggesting the government threatened to destroy a social media company if it did not comply that would be newsworthy Would it would it be newsworthy my goodness that's crazy wouldn't it be crazy if something like this happened and the mainstream media chose not to talk about it And I just just responded, bro, where have you been? Where have you been? How can you look at our mainstream media and be like, yeah, they'll totally cover this as fairly as humanly possible. There are a lot of comments along that vein. They're like, um, have you been living under a rock? Where have you been? Are you paying any attention at all? These are current events that you should be paying attention to. Wildest take I saw all day for sure, but it made me laugh. So I wanted to share it with you guys. All right, you guys i want to move us on to our last story because this is kind of interesting and I'm not sure what we're going to conclude at the end of it. Um, I am troubled by the state of our culture currently because we have skyrocketing suicides and that is not something that's going to be easily fixed, unfortunately. I'm afraid it's the beginning of an epidemic and it's going to get worse before it gets better. We have such a strong wave of hopelessness washing over this country right now it's almost tangible and it's really really discouraging but i am not going to give up hope it's very important to continue to have hope i refuse to be blackpilled we can find the way through this i think that we need to return to god and to church and i think that's the only way we fix this however you feel about god come to terms with your feelings and recognize that if we don't have some form of community like church offers we are not going to make it we're just not But, along a similar vein, millions of kids missing weeks of school as attendance tanks across the U.S. Interesting. When in-person school resumed after pandemic closures, Rosemary Negron and her 11-year-old son both noticed a change. School seemed less welcoming. Parents were no longer allowed in the building without appointments, she said, and punishments were more severe. Everyone should be less tolerant. Everyone seemed less tolerant, more angry. Her son told her he overheard a teacher mocking his learning disability, calling him an ugly name. Her son didn't want to go to school anymore, and she didn't feel like it was safe there. He would end up missing more than five months of sixth grade. Okay, so this kind of bothers me too. If your son doesn't want to go to school, are you being the bigger person by just saying, you know what, you're right, you don't have to go? Or should you say, if you don't want to go to school, here's what you can do instead and sitting him down with a stack of interesting books that he might find compelling, and pointing him in the direction of teaching himself to learn, because I truly think that would be the best course of action. But just letting him not go to school for five months of sixth grade, that to me is crazy. Across the country, students have been have been absent at record rates since schools reopened during the pandemic. It's almost like we told them that education wasn't very important, and how they felt about school, and about their teachers, and how... Their parents interacted with their teachers. None of that mattered. And now they're going back and they're like, huh, I guess they're right. None of this really matters. So I'm just not going to go. What's the point? Why would I bother? More than a quarter of students missed at least 10% of the 2021-2022 school year, making them chronically absent according to the most recent data available. Before the pandemic, only 15% of students missed that much school. All told, the S, est- an estimated 6.5 million additional students became chronically absent according to the data which was compiled by Stanford University Education Professor Thomas D in partnership with the AP. Taking together the data from 40 states and Washington, D.C., provides the most comprehensive accounting of absenteeism nationwide. Absences were more prevalent among Latino, Black, and low-income students, according to D's analysis. The absences come on top of time student missed during school closures and pandemic disruptions. Yeah, so nobody's winning here. This is so bad for our country. This is so bad for our future. Um, and little as I care for state academics, you can't just allow kids to go without the kind of structure that school provides. And I'm, I'm very unwilling to believe that the absence of public schooling is meaning that kids are just being taught by their parents or being taught in pods or going to private schools or charter schools. I think they're just not going to school and they're staying at home and disengaging from the world. And having nothing to do with friends and probably playing with video games and other stuff, watching TV, and just kind of turning into zombies. And I don't see that as anything positive for our country. In the end, students who are chronically absent, missing for 18 or more days over the course of a year in most places, are at a higher risk of not learning to read and eventually dropping out. And that means they will become involved in some form of high-risk lifestyle like dealing drugs or sex work. Nothing good comes of this at all. The long-term consequences of disengagement from school are devastating, and the pandemic has absolutely made things worse, and for more students. Yeah, 100%. It's a serious issue. In seven, in several states, seven states, the rate of chronically absent kids doubled from the 2021-22 school year from 2018 to 19 before the pandemic. Absences worsened in every state with available data, Notably, the analysis found grew, growth in chronic absenteeism did not correlate to strong, did not correlate strongly with state COVID rates. Kids are staying home for myriad reasons: finances, housing instability, illness, transportation issues, school staffing shortages, anxiety, depression, bullying, and generally feeling unwelcome at school. So, it sounds like fragile mental health states. It sounds like a, an over focus on mental health instead of like. Just engaging with the way the world is and teaching kids responsibility for tackling how they feel about it. This to me sounds like issues with the economy. If it's hard to find transportation, if gas is expensive to get to school, a lot of different issues, all of them compounded by Democrat ideas. When classrooms closed in March 2020, Negron said in some ways felt relieved her two sons were home in Springfield. Since the 2012 shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Connecticut, uh, Negron, who grew up in Puerto Rico, had become convinced mainland America schools were dangerous. Um, Yeah, so maybe you should homeschool your kids or send them to a charter school because if you feel like it's dangerous, you have an obligation to your children to find them an alternative and to find them something that they want to go to and somewhere where they're going to thrive. What can I say? A year after in-person instruction resumed... Staff placed her son in a classroom for students with disabilities, citing hyperactive and distracted behavior. He felt unwelcome and unsafe. Now it seemed to her there, were da- there was danger inside the school, too. He needs to learn, she said, a single mom who works as a cook at another school. He's very intelligent, but I'm not going to waste my time, my money, on uniforms for him to go to a school where he's just going to fail. For people who've long studied chronic absenteeism, the post-COVID era feels different. Yeah all of this feels different. The entire culture right now feels different and it's not good and it's not getting better. It's not going to heal naturally. We need an actual kind of a revival and a focus on things that actually matter like families and faith and all of these other important things that we seem to have forgotten. And I don't really see any way around that, but the problem is that doesn't come in a nice, neat package. It's not just one politician who's here to fix all our problems for us. It's not any one person who's going to make everything better for us. It's all of us taking responsibility and making it work because nothing else is going to change. And that also means that it's not going to change overnight. It's going to take years, possibly decades to correct the problems that started during COVID and before. And again, it's going to require all of us. Um, and I wish there were an easier solution, but this is kind of the solution I came up with for, um, abortion too. I figured out that you can't fix it from the top down. You have to fix it from the bottom up, which means you have to change the culture and change the way people think about marriage, family, kids, and abortion. And all those other things are gonna take a really long time. Uh, planet fatness, I rather, I agree, fatherless households and kids spoiled by mom. Yeah, so, I don't know how she's raising her kids, but it doesn't sound like she's properly focused on making sure that they get the right kind of education. But I won't judge because I don't know enough about her. I know it's hard for a single mom. Speaking of, Matt says it's overwhelmingly divorced slash single mothers who let kids do this. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Without a father figure in the home, you're going to have a higher incidence of all of this stuff. That's part of the reason that kids who don't have dads tend to be more criminal tend to end up in sex work, tend to end up doing terrible things. And they, that's the reason they say fatherless behavior when a girl is doing OnlyFans or whatever. It's not good. Andy says, I'm so tired of crazy conservatives being right. The Communist infiltrators and their useful idiots internationally destroy the nuclear family by incentivizing single motherhood and other such things. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> Unfortunate, but True. And um I feel like I'm putting my parents to shame because they were kind of warning about some of this stuff, stuff early on. And I was like, oh, you guys are crazy, whatever. Um, and now I'm looking at this and I'm like, no, they were <laughs> they were not even crazy enough. But I do think there's a way out. It's just going to take a lot of personal responsibility and a lot of hard work from all of us. And that's kind of discouraging, but it's also encouraging because it gives us all something we can do. So try to engage with your communities and see if you can make a positive difference. Find a good church to attend, adopt a pet, go out there and see if you can find a date. If you have a husband or wife, make sure you're loving them appropriately and making sure you're not letting them go because marriages are falling apart in a way that is incongruous with my understanding of the dating pool right now. And I are so lucky to have found each other and it is hard out there. I understand. So... Cling to the good stuff in your life and try to make more of it for the people around you. That's the message I'm leaving you with at the end of this difficult week. Thank you all so much for joining me tonight. I appreciate your time. I do think that dads are one of the most important superheroes in the world. I think that they're highly, highly underappreciated and we need to place more emphasis on them. We need to encourage them to take the correct amounts of responsibility for their kids and to take that heavyweight weight that leading a family entails, and just lift it and make it their own. All right, you guys, I know it's a light Friday night show. Go enjoy TimCast IRL. Until next time, don't forget, stay safe, stay well, stay out of target. Until next time, bye guys.